0: Great start here. Clint Dempsey's going! And that's head! trying good. to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Idiesta. This
1: is it,
2: it's 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 2-0. Mezzanazzi. He's looking for three goals. He's yes. got seven. Yes. So is Whiteside side here.
1: Oh, I say. It's amazing. Has it gone over the line of the back post? It
3: has. It's three. And he has
2: There they are, looking for number five. With Philippe Albert, oh, 5
0: It's Five,
2: because nobody can do it like football fives can. Come on, we are back. Football fives are back. This is the real thing. This is not a one-off. We are committing to actually doing more than one of these (laughs) incredible scenes. We've actually got some time to do it. Um, My name is David Hartrick. I am, of course, the author of a book called Silver Linings on Bobby Robson's England. Not that that has anything to do with my decision to come back. Uh, But joining me, my panel, I may as well put it out there from the start. Dan Story is not with us today, but he will be with us in other episodes. He's just... He's doing something with the FA tonight, isn't he? So just... I thought he was just doing FA tonight. No, no, we're, we're clearly not as important. Um, it's a 26th man. While we've been away, we've been trying to work out how to make this podcast a lot bigger than it is. And we all follow a lot of Irish football journalists on Twitter. So we've realised that the way to do it is contrarian opinions. So... Joining me on my virtual left is a man who thinks Messi can't really be called world-class until he saves a penalty, and that is Ryan Keeney. Ryan Keeney, how are you?
0: Yeah, very well, thank you, David Hardrick. How are you?
2: Excellent. Absolutely excellent. It's good to be back, isn't it?
0: It's really nice to be back, yes.
2: Uh, on Ryan's virtual right is a man who thinks the European Super League was actually a good idea, Christopher Nee. Chris, how are you?
1: Hello, Dave. Yeah, good. Fresh off the news, I don't have COVID, so flying. Uh,
2: Not yet. It's all right. We can edit out the coughs, Chris. And completing (laughs) this little foursome is the latest member of the Football Fives team, a man who thinks actually you can look at some metrics and Liverpool had a better season than Man City. Stephen Chicken! (laughs) Stephen Chicken! hey long time to speak Dave <laughs> yes yeah it's not like we speak to each other on a daily basis and do another podcast and work for the same organization uh right we are going doing a pod about euro 2020 it is nearly upon us we are extremely excited that excitement is one of the big reasons we are all back um we're gonna usual format but for for those of you who are new to it basically we answer five questions over a similar-ish topic, although we have done some random ones and various other things. You've got all the old formats to come. You'll be pleased to know old listeners, so we will be doing a -a five-a-side team at some point. There may even be a bloody quiz. Uh, And all the various other formats we did. I can't honestly remember them now, to be brutally honest with you. But this is basically <laughs> going to take the form of a preview for the Euros. So straight in with question number one, and I'm going to go straight to you, Ryan. Favourite ever Euros?
0: Um, So it should be Euro 2016, uh, because Northern Ireland were there, and Northern Ireland reached the knockout stages. But I contracted or... Uh, suffered <laughs> from salmonella. I remember the um, story. <laughs> I, I got I got struck down with salmonella about a week in. Um, so while Wheels were playing Northern Ireland in the last sixteen, I was hallucinating that Neymar was sat on the end of the bed drinking champagne with me, um, and I have I have no recollection. It was only probably in the last couple of years that I watched the highlights and tried to seek out extended highlights of that game. Um, so it, sh- it should be 2016. That should have be- been my favourite because Northern Ireland were there and we won a game. We beat the, the Ukraine and we didn't necessarily disgrace ourselves. We didn't offer much against Germany and Poland in those games, but we'd gone there clearly with the idea of finishing third in the group, getting into the knockout stages, one of the best third place teams and-, and doing all right. So, yeah, it was it was a pretty awful week um, of Salmon. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It was properly... Uh, yeah, I I felt awful and was flying back from uh, Asia at the time and, and on planes trying to keep an eye on which toilets were occupied and vacant so that I could rush to them at, at a moment's notice. Um, yeah, made for interesting flying. So should have been five years ago. That should have been my favourite ever. Um, but it, it's one of the ones that I guess the others will mention because there is a um, kind of a slightly better answer as well for this.
2: Uh, was it just Neymar, or was his sister there, who is definitely not his girlfriend, too? No, no it was just, just
0: Neymar, and I, I think I've, yeah, I've told this anecdote before, because uh, obviously the game was in Paris, and he was inviting me to go with him to Paris, in my hallucination, um, before I then rushed to the bathroom. So I felt felt pretty awful um, for quite a few days, and, and had it confirmed by doctors a week later, it was salmonella. So I then had to report some weird shack in Singapore that had given me food poisoning. Um, you see Neymar,
3: a, a, like a, a recognized symptom. <laughs> was that uh, like the, when you went to I the mean, GP? Was that the bit where fi- they went, oh, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh. I
0: think more fever and hallucinations and, um, yeah, trying to avoid dehydration are the, the, the more obvious symptoms. Um, I think I, it just manifested itself as a PSG star um, inviting me to go to Paris to watch football.
3: I think Homer team, and Bart, nice. I think, are the more obvious Simpsons. Yeah.
0: But that was yeah, that was a fun tournament, and like, uh, yeah, that it was, it was quite good, and, and kind of had weird groups and and teams playing for that third place as well in it. So it was, it was really good. Uh, it will, the memories of it will live long with me. That um, I'd agreed to go on holiday with my wife for her thirtieth birthday before realizing the consequences of when her birthday lands. Um, yeah, and her birthday lands on the opening day of Euro twenty twenty one, um this year. So, you know. Selfish. Yes. Yeah. yeah. R- I, rude really.
2: Old listeners will there are two Keeney stories. There's that one old listeners will be wrapping round themselves like a old familiar overcoat, and the other one is you <laughs> running naked across the carrow road pitch. Worst tackle they've ever well, seen. We'll yet. do
0: that in the <laughs> We'll do that in the Premier League preview, I guess, because you know they've been promoted again. So we'll, we'll I wish cover that you'd,
3: later. I, I wish you'd been there last time I was at Carrow Road, but never mind.
2: Uh, well, seeing as you've just heard his voice, KFC favourite, every Euros. <laughs>
3: Yeah, uh, I'm not the kind of person who remembers every tournament in, like, minuscule detail. I do have to sort of go and and check these things every time these conversations come up, which is a bit of a, a downer in the Quiz League, I mean, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I've gone for Euro 2008, um, which is a strange one for, for England, obviously, because it's, you know, they weren't there. Um, but I think that, that kind of made it fun. It was nice sort of living on Ryan's side of the tracks for once and experiencing what it's like to, to watch a tournament where you're, there's no sort of pressure on to like, there's no (laughs) games from your own country ruining everything. Um, and that was obviously the the beginning of of Spain's sort of little mini dynasty that they had where they won the three tournaments back to back and um it was also the first tournament I watched with my wife, who is not like a massive football fan she'll what but there's two things with football she'll well three things with football she'll watch she loves live games. Uh, she loves uh, match of the day and she loves a summer tournament and she's always as excited about the wall chart as me and Euro 2008 was was the start of that for her. Um, there were some really entertaining games in that tournament as well. Uh, there are a couple of unexpected teams that got to the semi-finals. I think it was Turkey and Russia both got to the semis um, and it was sort of the second to last tournament as well before we expanded it to the, the 24 teams and, and ruined everything, not to make a, a hackneyed old old point. But I think that 16-team format was absolutely perfect for the Euros. So, yeah, 2008.
1: Was it 2008 where the TV signal got knocked out in a game or something? Ooh,
2: I don't remember that. 2008 is the one where I spent a chunk of it on my mates Tom Stagdew in magalof And we watched a Holland game and then we went to a foam party and we were all really excited about the foam. And then it came and it was, we all got immediate claustrophobia, assumed we were going to die. One of us lost our shoes. I'm not going to say who, but it might have been me. And we hated it. Absolutely hated it. Taxis wouldn't take us back up the hill to our digs because we were absolutely (laughs) piss wet through. And we all woke up in the morning with nappy rush. Uh, Chris,
3: favourite ever Euros? Before we move on, yes, Chris, you're right. Uh, during the semi between t- Turkey and Germany, the uh, the TV feed went down because of a storm. Yeah, my personal
1: highlight of the tournament,
3: Chris' favourite
2: uh, every Euros, and before you answer, is it coming home?
1: Yeah, of course it's coming home. Yeah. Um, what is your favourite Euros and why is it Euro '96? Is the question for me? Uh, by a country mile, it's just untouchable. It's not even close. And I think as we've spoken about before being 11 years old during a home tournament at the height of my proper genuine football obsession. Like you have when you're a kid, it was almost too much to take in. Yeah, it was, it was glorious. The whole summer was glorious. I was playing football on my school team and semi-finals and going home and watching England playing in, in knockout games. It was great. England did well. I, I think that's fair, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which that was a lot of fun. In part, Beating Scotland was was great.
2: Always the
1: game against the Netherlands was brilliant. Pierce's penalty. Even losing the way we did was absolutely yeah, epic that, in a way that's kind of difficult to imagine. Hang on,
2: that. hang on, hang on, hang on. Mm. That, that, <laughs> Sp- that Spain <laughs> game, right? Firstly, opening game we were rotten. The Scotland yeah. game, we were really good second half. We were terrible first half everything clicked for the uh, the Dutch game and we were brilliant. That Spain game, we were rotten, Chris. I mean, that goal yeah, was... We I mean, he was about a foot on side, wasn't he? Let's be yeah. honest. And then the semi-final... I tell you what, I've, I've watched both semi-finals quite recently and my feeling was that we were closer in 96 than we were in 1990 to beating them and that's that's just not the case. In 1990, we really were... Like a fag paper away from beating them I mean, in '96 they, they sort of almost held us at arm's length for a lot of that game you know Chris we, it was a funny game when you look back at it. It was a funny game I think we I think we love Euro 96 because of how close we came and because it was a home tournament but like I don't think England were brilliant apart from really one half against Scotland and one game against the Netherlands. But it was just—it was a brilliant to, tournament, anyway, wasn't it?
1: I think it was. And to, to remind you, Dave, what I'm—I was eleven years old, and it was a home yeah, tournament yeah. in England. Got to the semi final. <laughs> exactly what I was about to say. This is, this, this
3: is the age difference shown a little bit, I think, Dave, because Chris and I are, are closer in age, and um, yeah, like they always say, the tournament that's closest to your tenth birthday is the one you fall in love with. So I think what you had for Italian ninety was, you know, what Chris and I had when you ninety
1: six. Yeah, I think as well as for the football itself. I, I think it was great right? and we're going to have loads of listeners now saying no it wasn't I watched the whole tournament again last summer when they put it on ITV and I'm not kidding I watched the whole tournament again
2: <laughs> Confirmed.
1: and it it felt so far removed from what it's like today and when I yeah. thought about why that was and why I was enjoying it it was because it was imperfect mm. there were mistakes all over the place there were passes that went astray all sorts of things going on from the best players in Europe and it felt like proper football it was top-level football. I'm not saying, you know, non-league's better or whatever, but I got as much enjoyment from knowing that the best player in Europe could let the ball run under his studs as I get from watching the perfect version of football, the near-perfect version of football you get at the top level today. I was hooked on Italian football at the time, so just getting to watch them was was a bit of a buzz. Um, And then for everyone else, it it still had that air of mystery that you... Used to not know anything about some of these teams before going into a tournament. Well, Czech Republic days. for that tournament, for instance. Mm. There's a real layer of mystery about it, and there were there were some really good games. There weren't loads of really good games, but going looking back on them last summer, the game between Russia and the Czech Republic was brilliant. Uh, I was at that, that film, game, Steve. Was it? Yeah, were
3: you? I was at that game. Yeah, yeah. And we um, we were annoyed when we we bought the tickets, sort of sight unseen, not knowing what the fixtures were yet and it was that or Old Trafford. And as it turned out, Germany played Italy um, at Old Trafford in, on the same night because it was the last round of the, the, of the group and we were sort of gutted as a family that we'd sort of got the wrong game. And that game was a massive dud and the Czech Republic-Russia game was 3-0. It was the best game of the tournament. So
1: yeah, it was lucky. good. And I, even at that time, just from being a Villa supporter and, and sort of being around the idea of the UEFA Cup, I used to really enjoy watching Alexander Mostovoy Quite randomly, my mate Cal, if he's listening, will confirm that I drew a robot version of him at the back of history class. I, I think
2: Chris. I think we all did.
1: <laughs> Great player, and he had he had a little moment in in the Euros as well. And then you've got you know the the Bulgarian holdover from from the World Cup. Really enjoyed watching Stoichkov as a sort of rapid Vienna aficionado. I've come to appreciate um, the old Wolfman as well, even off. Um, and yet you'd say Czech Republic, Steve. For me, Croatia in general, in those early years of them playing international tournaments as, as a new nation, were just fascinating to me. The players they had were fantastic. You know, Boban, Proznetsky, all those guys. Proper team, but completely out of nowhere for me. And you know, three lines.
2: Yeah, it was it was a it was a very very decent tournament to be fair. Um on a lot of levels and any home tournament you just can't help but absolutely fall in love with but my main memory of euro 96 is seeing the entirety of the romania squad in sunwin house in Brighouse buying pants so <laughs> that was sort of the essence of euro 96 for me because they were staying just along the way in a big hotel literally just off the motorway and uh that was absolutely thrilling to see them all buying calvin Kleins. um I think mine is, I've thought quite a lot about this because obviously Euro 96, absolutely brilliant. England have had a fairly rotten record, so there's not really sort of a rich history to dig in there. Euro 2000 was really good, but again, England were not great. But genuinely, I think my favourite tournament in terms of the Euros is Euro 88, and it's Euro 88 really for one team, and that's the Dutch team. Anybody who listened to this podcast before knows how deep my love for Marco van Basten is. Um, it's just a great big old aubergine emoji. And that side was just brilliant. The kit was perfect. The The game against England, I watched it again uh, researching the book and they were so good, that, that side. They were so good. And I watched the game. It ended. I went down a bit of a wormhole, and I, I watched the game against Germany again. And they, it was just brilliant. And I watched the final again. And that Van Basten's goal in the final for me, I I think is like, a, in terms of Desert Island football moments for me, I think that's possibly my top one. Genuinely, I uh, just every time I see that goal. I still don't understand the physics of it. I don't Mm. understand the bravery of it. It's just sensational. I think in the sort of pantheon of great goals, I think that a lot of goals are there due to context. And I think the context of playing in any major international tournament final and, and scoring a goal like that has to put it put it right at the very top of any list you want to put it in really um, and, and
3: even without that like I've shown that goal to Nikki before uh, who'd never obviously seen it and still got the whoa reaction even though she had no context for what game it was or what
2: the stakes were or anything like that they, there's a lot of quite similar goals there's, like it's, it sounds mad but there was a crazy game years ago in the Scottish Premier League where Lucas Juk- Jukovic scored quite a similar one but again, it's context, you know, it's it's context. And to do that in a major final is just, oh. And the thing about Euro 88, it was the first sticker album I ever got. Didn't collect it, it came free with Ryder Rovers, but it led me down a wormhole that has cost me thousands of pounds since then. <laughs> and I was still in that world of, it was a bit like Mexico 86, where I wasn't so tied into the identity of supporting England that them not winning the tournament actually mattered to me. It was just more about the fact there was a game of football on TV every day. So, yeah, I think you're right, and I think that's a decent spread. And it, I think the thing that's key to all of those is that all of those tournaments have made us feel a certain way. With Ryan, it was sick, but for the rest of us, (laughs) it was just enjoyment. And I think that leads nicely into question two, what a segue that is, uh, which is... After the last 18 months or so, does this feel the same as a normal international tournament summer? And I'm going to come to you first, Ryan.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. I think it, it. there's going to be fans there. Um, and I think that's interesting. I think the, the logistics of the various venues is, is a... A really interesting one and I think it was an interesting one pre-Covid. I think now it's a bit of a headache because I, I suspect there will be an outbreak of coronavirus amongst one of the squads at some point in the next month which um, will, will be interesting to see how that's handled um, particularly off the back of, of John Rahm having to withdraw when the runaway leader on the PGA Tour this weekend which was kind of the which was seen um, when sports started returning as that kind of nightmare scenario for a a Sport that takes more than one day to play, of what happens, like you know, it could happen in test cricket, it could happen in, happened in golf where you've got a runaway leader and, and they have to withdraw. What happens in, in the Euros if a squad goes down with Covid? I know Scotland have had some issues with uh, I think one of the players testing positive Josh in the last Fleck. week, yep. yeah, yep. and and some some players isolating, so uh, yeah, that adds a, an experiment to it, I think. In yeah, this is. This is pretty close, and and I'm quite happy to say yeah, it feels it feels the same. I think I've I've never been necessarily close to going to a tournament. I think in in 2016 it was my wife's 30th birthday, which I mentioned. So um, any trip to go and see Northern Ireland was was quickly kiboshed. Um, uh, and yeah, I think with the logistics and the various venues, I wasn't going to go to Euro 2020, but to the next one or the one after uh, might be possible. So I think watching from home with crowds there and the kind of spread of games and and everything yeah I'm I'm as I'm as excited as I would be under normal circumstances
2: Neyman, I
1: think there are too many variables to say whether or not it feels exactly the same I don't feel less for it I think the delay is a factor I think living through the pandemic just in general is a part of how the feeling will be around the tournament um but as Ryan has hinted out there the format of the tournament is part of it as well and that was happening anyway so there's lots of things sort of going on the short version is that I don't know if I feel differently about it because of a single one of those things I just know that I feel slightly differently but that's not to say that I'm not excited about it because I am I I really love summer tournaments I've got my wall chart up behind me Steve will back me up it's a doozy Uh, I've got some time off work I'm ready Uh, And I'm excited about England, actually. I'm excited about big games at Wembley. I think it's going to be great. And I think a part of that excitement is almost specifically because of the last 18 months, which, you know, it's been a crap time to be alive in general. Football's been a slog too as well, hasn't it, really? My non-league seasons have been destroyed. I've had nothing to do on far too many Saturdays this year and last year. And despite my team doing well in the Premier League watching football almost every day with no fans it has really started to wear thin so it's been quite good fun this weekend with the England games going on with fans and then you get to uh, Saturday and Sunday and I'm sitting just watching the tally, watching Notts County in the playoffs against Chesterfield watching Hartlepool against Bromley in, in the playoffs as well and there are fans there and god damn I love football <laughs> <laughs> I've I've had my lol you know, I've had my this is rubbish, no fans, all of that. I've had my lol I'm ready.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's quite a personal question this really because like obviously everyone's answer is going to be slightly different, everyone's take on it is going to be slightly different. For me personally, this is the most excited I've been for a summer tournament for ages. Like I'm so ready for just a proper summer tournament and I don't know if my perspective is slightly different because I've been lucky enough to be one of the lucky few who has been at games over the last uh, 18 18 months or so. But I'm really looking forward to just being at home, having the telly on, having games on and watching some football that I largely because, you know... (laughs) I'm not sort of the biggest England fan in the world like like you and Chris are. Um largely just sort of not having any skin in the game, not having to write about it or report on it and just sort of enjoying the the football for what it is and um yeah, I mean that's <laughs> I know that, that is sort of a, a very sort of privileged take on it given that that most people watching won't have been able to get out to games but for me personally that's that's how I feel about it and um yeah, I can't wait. I genuinely prefer the Euros to the World Cup just in general anyway. Um, and sort of I've alluded to the the, the change to the 2014 format. Um, I, I'm not a fan of the... Like, I was really excited looking at that group, that group of death we've got this year, where it's, what is it, Germany, France and Portugal all in the same group with poor Hungary. And it's like, oh, great, one of those is going to go out. That's going to be really entertaining. And then you realise, oh, no, probably there's a chance they'll actually get through anyway. But even considering that, I just think because you're... I just think it's a well-balanced tournament in general, the Euros. Um, so it's always one that I look forward to more than the World Cup anyway. But the fact that we've had to wait a year for it and we didn't get at the tournament last year and we had those long, long months with no football, there's just... Really wet my appetite for this one even more.
2: It certainly sounds like you are. <laughs> I, just want to, I just want to add a supplemental question in here. So we're going to end up doing six questions. So I only want a quick answer to this. And I'm going to go to you first, Ryan. Your excitement for this tournament, is it or is it not making you seriously worry that you might not be able to ignore the Qatar World Cup for political reasons like you want to? <laughs>
0: Uh yes, I think uh, yeah. I've already I think I've already made my peace with the fact that I will enjoy the Qatar World you, Cup.
2: You, you can't turn it off, can you? That's no, the problem, man. Chris.
1: At the moment, it looks very much like my support of England at the very least will be enough for me to stomach the ill feeling I have towards that tournament, Stephen. Yeah, I mean.
3: You want to try and say, oh, we're going to make a moral stand, and I really respect anyone that does, but let's face it, we're all fucking suckers
0: for football what, that weekend. What's the, um, what's the Chris Morris quote? Is uh, I don't like it, but I'll have to put up with it. The... Yeah, Peter
3: O'Hanrahan. Yes, yes <laughs> yeah. I don't like it, but I'll have to go along with it.
2: I, you, I just can't turn it off. I've no. just, just realised coming into this Euros, there's absolutely no way that I won't spend... 11 months of 2022 thinking about that World Cup. I just can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, as soon as that sticker album comes out... I'm, it feels so
3: weird that that's 18 months away, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it does. But just, I I, I just want to go to bed with all of the football. Um,
1: I've just started playing football again like four weeks ago on Sunday nights. And really we're in the middle of a podcast, it. mate. Can you not wait? <laughs> <laughs> and I skipped it Tonight to watch England play a very boring friendly against Romania, so I think I'll probably watch a World <laughs> Cup
2: game. Uh, next question: How will England do? And I'll go to. I think we better hear from Neiman first on this. Sorry, there was a pause then because I was having a big gulp of water, like the professional I am. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how they all do it. Remember it. that?
3: Yeah, remember all those episodes of Match of the Day where Des Lynham are just like yeah. out a
1: pint. <laughs>
2: Me, hit me.
1: England have the potential to be really good. I think. I think we've got the best attacking options we've had for generations, maybe ever. If we're talking about options, and I think you could make a good case that we've got one of the best attacking groups in the competition. And I think it's genuinely a, a pretty exciting, it's young, dynamic pretty potent squad going forward I think one or two weaknesses but the centre of midfield feels solvable in a way that it wasn't two or three years ago we spoke about that a lot Dave where that that midfield felt like it was never going to resolve itself and actually I don't think it's a million miles off being something that might be able to work Uh, centre back worries me a bit but by and large I would absolutely say that Gareth Southgate has a squad at his disposal that could not will but could get to a semi-final of a major tournament, again, but on purpose this time. <laughs> I think lessons have been learned in the short term, both from 2018 and from you know Nations League games and, and various bits and bobs in between, and in the longer term as well. Which you know what, that, why we have these players in the first place is because England as a football nation has started to learn its lessons properly. However, we're going out in the second round. <laughs> I know, I I feel great about this tournament, I feel optimistic for England I can't shake the draw I feel I have to represent Dan here a little bit as well but I can't shake the draw and I do agree with him I, I think we're in good shape but if we finish in the top two or actually third as well as you say Steve we'll be against France Germany, Portugal in the round of 16 and I don't know, the closer I get I move away from well, we're going to have to beat some good teams to get there anyway to that absolutely reeks of an England exit in the second round. And that's without taking into account the very real possibility that we get a bloody nose in the group as well. And if we do that, it'll be Scotland as well, by the way. Um, what keeps me hopeful, though, is is World Cup 2018. And for all of the easy side of the draw bullshit, 2018 was distinctly on englandy we usually draw the Tunisia game go on
3: (laughs) they won a penalty shootout
1: yeah exactly normally draw against Tunisia normally get beaten in that game by Sweden normally lose on penalties to Colombia it it looks like an easy bracket when you look back on it but it was a good tournament for England and England did exercise some ghosts that summer and who's to say we can't do it again? Who's to say this isn't the year we shake off the second round curse or the Portugal curse or not being able to beat France or something like that?
2: Well, clearly you, because <laughs> you just said it. <laughs> uh, yeah, l- let's let's. Move we on. will, but
1: who's th- who am I to say that though? Um, who am I to say that?
2: Let's move on, okay. uh, Ryan. Hello. I know we're making you talk about England because yeah. obviously. None of your internet, your several international sides have, have qualified. So I think a fairer question to ask you would be, are you going to enjoy Wimbledon this summer?
0: Yeah, it's going to be all right, I think. Uh, we've got the US Open in a couple of weeks in the golf, and the, the Open, obviously, um, coincides the week after. So, yeah, it's quite a quite a good summer of sport. Um, Lewis Hamilton crashed in the Formula One. Makes things interesting on that as well for the next few weeks.
2: Yeah, I watched that. To be fair, that Pirelli want to hang their heads in shame. This is not an all sports podcast. This What's is a football the, five uh, man. What, Come on, what, give us the neutrals' view.
0: What was the wording of the question? Sorry, Dave. Well, how will England do? How or, will England do? Yeah, I, I think Chris is right. England will will probably go out in the last sixteen. I I don't know. I find I find it tricky to kind of the because the draw is the winner of Group D. Um, faces the runner-up in Group F. And Group F is the Portugal, France, Germany, Hungary group, the, the group of death and a and really tasty one. I just don't think any runner-up is coming out of that with a whole lot of momentum or kind of knowing what they're about. Uh, you know, you can... France are the, the big favourites in that and, and would presume they will finish uh, top and then it's between Germany and Portugal and maybe Hungary. But then Hungary are playing at home and home... I'd hungry have beaten I think Turkey and I'd have picked off some fairly decent sides in recent times. So I, I can't I can't see anybody coming out of that group with a lot of momentum and good feeling. Whereas I think England will go unbeaten in that group. I don't necessarily see England winning all three games. I think there's a not necessarily bloody knows, but there's a bit of a scare or there's a, a bit of a tail off against the Czech Republic coming. If you I think if you win the first two, I don't know how excited things will be um come that third game against the Czech Republic and and having kind of been assured of things. So yeah, I think that, I would suspect they go out in the last 16. I could see England getting to the semi-finals having a kind of a lot of expectation with, you know, I think the quarter-final is the only game that England are likely to play outside of England, outside of London um depending again on, on where the groups go. Um so I yeah, my my feeling is Got in the last 16. My worry is they reach the semi finals, and then it's you know, uh, once you're under the last four, um, there's a very real chance you can win it.
2: Um, Yeah, I think think that's fair enough as the neutral's view, really. Uh, Nugget, what's your view?
3: (laughs) Don't call me that. I'm not Owen. Oh, I'd love to be Owen Hart. That's a reference just for Chris. Um... (laughs) No, um... there's
2: only one nugget, mate, and that's Steve Davis, the snooker player. I will, oh, I will not have wrestling discussed on this podcast I'm right, Sorry, carry on
3: uh, Or old James Acaster as I like to refer to Steve Davis um, no he's uh, he, England I, I, I agree with both the you two to be honest um, I think there's great reasons to be optimistic about England this is the strongest England squad of my lifetime as I think someone's probably already said um, and yeah I still think it's the same old, I, I not to keep banging on about the tournament format in every single bloody question but i feel like if this was the 16 team format i would fancy england that bit that bit more just because there's obviously there's one less round to get through but i feel like england are not a team that that have navigated knockouts terribly well historically i know they did at the last tournament in in 2018 but um and that side of the draw is difficult i'm basically just repeating what everyone else has said but um yeah i feel like it's just going to be a step too far in it's last 16 or quarters unfortunately but (sighs) i feel like i don't know i i'm glad that ryan was here to provide that bit of a neutral perspective because i feel like that is we're almost trying to talk ourselves into the eye (laughs) into lowering our own expectations to a certain extent here because none of us want to none of us want to go yeah they've, they've got a great chance they can win it
0: the problem i have with england is that as a group of players and even a, a manager in gas circuit you're incredibly likable um as somebody that kind mm. of consumes the english football and and um watches the premier league you know th- there are a lot of incredibly uh incredibly incredible young men in that squad that you know you just find yourself drawn to and liking like Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford are shining examples of that of the way that they conduct themselves and the things that they do off the pitch so so I growing up in Northern Ireland and having this I see England and immediately want England to lose but when I look at the players in that squad and and, you know beyond Sterling and Rashford there's just a, a group of of likeable smart articulate young men there that are a credit to a credit to the country at a weird time politically and socially and, and everything that I, I wouldn't begrudge some of those players that success and even in, at the world cup in 2018 it was yeah it was it was frustrating to see england perform well and it was frustrating to <laughs> see england fans happy but yeah i couldn't necessarily begrudge some of the players that success because they they are players that i just naturally root for and a manager that i think is uh, has has handled himself incredibly well in, in, in the press over the last few years, but particularly this week um as well and in the build up to the tournament. Uh, yeah, it's it's a re it's a real conflict in my mind um when I see England and England doing well.
1: Dave, bearing in mind England's record in Euros of winning knockout games, i. e. we don't ever would you say that quarter-final is success here
2: i think the i think the problem is you can't use that as a yardstick with this group of players because we all know how insanely talented this group of players is and my personal take on it is that i think we'll beat croatia reasonably comfortably because croatia aren't the croatia of 2018 i think then we've got the friendly against the pub side we should win that then we should beat the Czech Republic and finish comfortably with nine points. I think the problem is all about that Group F. I spoke to Jonathan Harding in the week, um, and I've spoken to him a few times about it. He is utterly convinced that Germany are really going to struggle in that group, really, really going to struggle. I, I agree. I've got he's them probably there to probably right. third. Yeah. yeah, he he doesn't. Well, he thinks there's a world where they could come fourth, Steve. He's He's really not confident at all. And my big problem in that group really is Portugal, who I think if England play, that probably England are realistically going to have to play at some point in the knockouts, and as soon as they play Portugal, they will lose. And that may be the first knockout game. It may be the second. It would be lovely if it was the third, but I, I, as soon as they play Portugal, they'll lose. Because... I, I think the thing is, I don't think Portugal are like a... Portugal haven't got anything like the squad that England have, but they have a better first eleven And I think psychologically, I think they'll end up having the edge. So I think we go out as soon as we play Portugal, and I don't know when when that is. As I said, I, I'd love it to be the semi-final potentially, but I just have a nugging suspicion it's probably going to be the last 16 game, and that means out in the first knockout. It seems we, an obvious we, thing to
1: say, but I, I think the further we go, the better chance we have in those games. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird, I know that's, that sounds no, know sort of, of obvious, you, you but would you know fan, what I mean? Like would, I fancy more in a semi-final it, it, against
2: the yeah, Portugal against than Portugal. I do in the it, I mean, sixteen. There's more chance of winning the game if you score more goals. <laughs> 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 no,
3: I know what you mean though, Chris. I, I completely agree with that, actually. Thank you. I, I just just. <laughs>
0: I think Go the on, interesting man. thing, sorry for England, is that they are, I know they are the favourites for that group, and with the the back door of of the third, you know, third place teams getting through, nobody wants assuring. Um, like Croatia will set up a little bit defensive on in that opening game, and Scotland will as well, because you don't you don't want a goal difference of minus three or minus four that you need to try and make up. Because a win, one win, and a, a zero goal difference got Northern Ireland through the last sixteen, and got Portugal through because they drew their, they drew all three of their games. Again, they were really frustrated in the group stages by their three teams. So, um, yeah, if England, England will need to to break down the three teams in in the group stages to get through, um, and build up that momentum and and find that kind of attacking for things to click attack uh, with the front three, and if they do that. And, kind of, and top the group and roll into the last 16. um i think they are I think they're a fairly formidable opponent um with that group of players
2: a, a lot of it is bravery and it it's it's bravery from from the dugout really it's it's southgate rolling the dice and not bringing on another defensive midfielder that that's gonna what's gonna make or break us i think in this tournament i think it's worth moving on from there to talk about who we think is actually going to win this whole goddamn thing. And I'm going to go first this time because I'm in charge. And I think that the natural answer is France and they're favourites for a reason. And you look at their, their proper first 11 and it's quite scary. But I I just think it's Belgium's time because I think Lukaku's going to have a big tournament. I think they are they are improving on getting past their major weakness, which is their manager, (laughs) which is a bizarre thing to say, but is exactly the same, exactly true of France as well. Yeah. And you look at their run, and I mean, anything less than the semi-finals from where they are really should be considered failure on their behalf. And I can see a world where they're, they're scoring lots of goals and they become pretty formidable very early on in that tournament um you know i I put it this way i know where my money's going for top scorer in the in this tournament and that's on lukaku and lukaku only um so i just feel like it's Belgium's time i i also i feel with belgium if they don't win it this time they know they're probably not going to win it and the golden generation will be I'm not going to say they're sort of over the hill, but by the time the next Euros comes around, there's going to be a few, you know, more than a few key players, very much the wrong side of 30. and So it doesn't feel quite like last chance, but I think there's a few of those players who will will know a little bit like that Portugal side did, that it's now or never. The only other side that I think might stop them, other than France, obviously, is is Portugal. And not to go on about them, but I do think they've got... A brilliant first eleven, particularly if they can be brave enough to take Cristiano Ronaldo off in games where he's not being effective. Because I don't know if anybody's watched him late lately, but he is. I mean, he's he's like a very sexy and better version of Kevin Davis these days. In that he sort of <laughs> floats around in as a sort of central striker and tries to get on the end of things and and tries to influence when he can but he just you know the he's what 36 years old now is he um you know he just hasn't got that lightning pace and just sort of fireworks in his boots like he used to so as and when required as long as they can be brave enough to to change the game and that potentially means taking him off uh i think portugal could have a good shout uh i'm going to go to knee next
1: I think you're exactly right about Lukaku, uh, and I saw earlier that you can get Lukaku and France at fifty to one or something in that region, really? which I think is a good shout. It seems a bit weird. I'm going to fact check it, but I'm not betting on it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, but the point being, England.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's coming over.
1: It's boring to say it, but I, I really do think it's France's to lose, and it just simply comes down to. Um, the individual quality they have, and a bit of depth. They don't have massive depth that I sort of expected them to have when you actually look into their squad. They've it's, got, it's... They're
2: have got they a bit like England. All their depth is in the same areas. Yeah. But, yeah. They, but those areas, bloody hell, the depth they have got is scary.
1: Yeah. And those individuals that they have, they, they can massively influence a match, and there are loads of them. To be honest, if, if they had a goalkeeper, they'd be a pretty scary prospect. There, there are other good squads in this competition, but you just know that you know, Pogba could end up playing a tournament, or Mbappe could, or Kante could, or Benzema could, or Griezmann could, as much as I loathe to admit that. Giroud's there in that non-scoring role that he thrived in at the World Cup. He could Such have a, a big impact. a sexy man. Yeah, he also scores in 100% of the games he plays against teams I support. So if they get England, <laughs> guaranteed to score. Um, there are some mitigating factors that give me hope. Um, hope is a, a long way of saying I don't mind if France win it too much, but I would mind it being a bit more interesting. But Deschamps is a mitigating factor. I remain of the view that they won um, in uh, in the last World Cup in spite of him,
2: rather you, than because of him. You remain in that view because that is entirely correct, Chris. <laughs> yeah,
3: you can't uh, spell but... Deschamps without champ, mate. That's all I'm saying.
2: Yeah, champ, more like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Belgium's was, another one. That was a joke straight out of the Bino, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it.
1: Belgium's another one. I think if they don't uh if they don't belgium it up, they'll they still very much have the players to do something at long last, you know. They definitely have the ability to do it if they're if they're on it. And the other thing with France is I, I do think they need a fast start. They do need a fast start against Germany because I think Portugal are more than capable of toppling them in that last game and I don't I'm not a massive believer in you know basic momentum in football but if they get knocked early they're not beyond collapsing France I expected them to win the Euros after they won the World Cup the first time
2: yeah and they collapsed yeah, I don't mm. disagree
1: with that. Yeah, France. France are either going to
3: win it or they're going to go out of the group stage. Like that is how France be. Well, what, go- what I mean is the World Cup yeah, after the Euros. Yeah,
1: the two thousand two.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, go on. As you've leapt in, Nando's. You carry on. Me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean
3: France. Yeah, I, I've also got France. Um, got the best players in it. Um, like and the they'll they'll obviously have all the, all the confidence having having um won the world cup last time out and i know they've got that horrible group and and i'm kind of not joking when i say they either go out at the group or they win the whole thing um but um yeah i think i find i find, i'm finding it quite difficult to look past them but i am also doing that thing that i i kind of hate when people i i'm not a believer in you know, oh, we've not won at this ground for 30 years. I don't think it means anything. And I think I am being a little bit that way when I say England don't do knockouts or Belgium don't do knockouts because, you know, I think it's a bit, you know, they both reached <laughs> semis uh, at the last World Cup. But um, I do feel like France know how to win tournaments. Um, and yeah, it's important.
2: Both reached the semi, name your sex tape. There we uh, go. Roy Keeney. All right. Go, go on then.
0: Uh, I think there's going to be a weird winner. Um, so I I don't dislike England. I think just kind of the way that things will shake out. Um, I think they've got a real job. I think Belgium and France are quite likely to meet each other in the semis. Is that? Yeah, very likely, of, yeah, I think. So, which I would... Yeah, so it's... I guess one of those. Um, I quite like the Netherlands, um, weirdly. I, I, I mean... I just fun quite like the look of their group I think for them getting through um with That's the big Austria. thing that they've got isn't it that that side of the draw they've yeah. got is
3: and their group is really kind even though they've been shit for the last yep decade
0: yeah
1: that group is Ukraine North Macedonia Austria Austria yeah
0: wow. I, I mean there's no yeah. there's no Bad teams at, at European Championships. I think that's quality of European football. Well, even can, like th- there are. <laughs> well, I can think of one. No, but like even I think like North Macedonia, who are making their debut, have got you know there are elite mm. players. There are players play there in in the top leagues in Europe. Um, yeah, you know, you've know got Premier you... League and and the Liga and um, Syria players there, and and they play regularly for those teams. So, yeah, I, they're not a bad group, but so. No game's necessarily easy. I just I could see the Netherlands getting themselves a, a little bit of little bit of momentum. Um, I think their midfield is is pretty good. Um, what, why are you 30. trying so hard
3: to keep the North Macedonians on side? What what do you, no, I'm just, what do you know that we don't no, no, need no, I'm them? not I just
0: <laughs> I just kind of you know, I, I know what it will mean to uh, our North, North Macedonian listeners, um, in terms mm-hmm. of qualifying for a major tournament. Then and similarly, like Finland, and um, who are, are there for the first time, I yeah, I think Belgium and Belgium and France are very obvious answers. I c- I can just see Netherlands, England All being right. in that other semi-final.
2: I, I'm just going to throw one in because I was I, I was interested to see if anybody else have mentioned it. My little dark horse for this tournament, in the same way, Keenan's just named Czech Netherlands, is Italy who no one seems to be talking about. And I think that's partly as a result of they don't have they don't have those sort of two players that everybody knows off the top of their head. It's like if I asked if I asked you to name five members of Italy's Squad, you couldn't just reel it off straight away like you could in other years and other major tournaments. Mm-hmm. But they are as as a collective, they are far better um than the some of their parts. And I think they, they, you know, I'm not saying going to put a mortgage payment on it, but I'm. If you want a dark horse, I would keep an eye on Italy. I, I, I think people are ignoring them and writing them off a little bit, and uh, you, you know, what a tournament side they can be. Um, so yeah. Um, final question. It's flown by, hasn't it, gentlemen? Time flies nice. when you're eating buns mm. or something like that. Um, non home nations player let's be honest non-english player you're looking (laughs) forward to watching in this tournament um so i think we'll start with Stephen chicken
3: hello david hartrick um i was gonna rep dan's story and do ramalu lukaku but there's two reasons i've I'm calling an audible, and I'm uh, I'm changing my mind. One is because you've already talked about it a bit. The second one, the main one, is because uh, Chris reminded me of the existence of Olivier Giroud, and he he makes me feel funny feelings. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, like I don't know why I I get an enormous amount of joy out of Olivier Giroud's super sub status. It's just. I I really can't explain it, but he, I don't know. I've just got, he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a cult hero. And I feel like he's one of the only players that I sort of feel that way about myself these days. Who I'm like, I don't know, I just... I like seeing him. He seems like a, a cheeky chappy uh, and he has a, a tendency to pop up with, with big goals on the big occasion. It would be nice if he could do the, the same again at the age of 34.
2: I'm, I'm going to open it out slightly, Steve. and So I'm going to catch you slightly on the hop here. Give me a team that you're actually looking forward to watching a little bit as well.
3: Yeah, Belgium. I think, as you as we mentioned, the, the, the attacking talent they've got um, at their disposal. I mean, and... We mentioned their they're sort of slightly rubbish manager but if there's one thing we know about Roberto Martinez it's uh his football tends not to be dull uh even if you're a fan of his team you'd find him very frustrating he he tends not to play boring football and I just feel like they're they're quite a a fun team uh
2: Keeney is mustard player Hello. team hit me um
0: so when we, I'd, I'd like to take it back to the embedded Maradona website, um, which always, is is still always. on it's still on the internet and is quite an interesting archive. We used to do um, a feature called the 100 every year, where we would list 100 of the best young players um, for the forthcoming 12 months and then look back and, and review them. And I realised, as kind of looking down through the squads, a lot of the players that I was reviewing and we were reviewing in 2016, 2017, as kind of coming i was a couple of reviews mentioned like euro 2020 being that tournament for them to shine and that chance for them to kind of pop up so there are there are loads um that i could kind of pick out and federico bernardeschi who um, plays for juventus and, and italy is kind of a really good example of that hitting 27 and kind of ready to very fun go, to
2: watch he is right re- ready to, to
0: grab a tournament by the, the scruff of his neck mm. um, my my real answer is yuri Tillemans, which isn't mm. the sexiest um, by any means but i think he's if belgium are going to succeed it's not it's going to be the kind of that midfield kind of hinge or that that pivot that is going to have to excel because their defence is a bit old this is i think they're one squad that has uh, could have done with this happening last year i think just that extra year and that extra that extra year in the legs of Vertonghen and Vermeulen and, and even Alderweireld doesn't help them uh, going forward. I think they're going to be exceptional, and they're going to have to outscore their opponents rather than trying to grind it out. So I think Tillman's in, in that midfield with, I guess Fitzel, but he's been injured, so I don't really know what they're necess- what they're, that kind of two or or three. One looks Fitzel. will it be right? Um, they're going to have to uh, do quite a lot.
2: <laughs> I've amused myself if nothing else. <laughs> um, so is are Belgium your team as well, Ryan?
0: Um, no, I think my team are hungry um because of that home advantage. I think that this is a really interesting quirk or an interesting aspect of it, that they are in a really, really tough group, but they will have uh the crowd behind them. That well they should have the crowd behind them, given everything. That I'm and they've they've had a few sneaky good results over the years. Um there's a couple of kind of fun players whose surnames I can't pronounce. Um and racist I just I don't want to butcher their their kind of team and it just yeah they've they've had a couple of good results I think that I point out the results for Turkey who I think a couple of people are expecting to run Italy uh close in in their group um yeah I Hungary have beaten them twice in uh in the nation's league I think um and yeah I just they're a, a team I'll be I'll be keeping an eye on and, and so well I mean I'm going to watch all of the games, but yeah, I'll I might put my phone down for a little bit longer during their matches. You just said butcher and hungry and turkey in
3: quick succession, and now I really, really want some delicious Bernard Matthews products.
2: Yeah, yeah Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver's not happy about that, but he's not happy about a lot of things. Chief. Yeah, Jamie Oliver. Jamie s- Oliver.
1: He can suck my dick, to be honest. Uh, there's
2: the explicit.
0: There's the explicit tag.
1: <laughs> uh, we've always got an explicit tag no, on this don't one, don't you worry about that
2: um, E-Man, you go, you go next player and team I'm, I'm going to ask you to be
1: uh, grown up about this because I generally like to keep an eye on the young players and good, well done I, I, I'm a bit disappointed actually, I've been looking through all of the squads uh, I'm a bit disappointed to not really see anyone jumping out at someone I really wanted to you know, um, have another look at who I've been watching through through this season. Franco Foda, the Austria uh, the Austria coach, has really stitched me up here because he's just picked a load of players from Germany and they're all sort of mid-20s or maybe. Yeah,
2: there's a little bit of pushback to that as well, isn't there, Chris? I don't, well, I don't yeah. know if you're aware of this, but they've kicked off about that, that he has been far too uh, Bundesliga heavy, basically. I think it would
1: be easier for for the Austrian fans to take if they're really good I think that's the main thing it's always a results um, thing isn't it with these and there are really promising young players in Austria 18, 19 years old some of them 17, one or two of them and some of them are on the brink of the squad and some of them have been in the squad and to take the team that he's taking it's a bit disappointing for me as somebody who's been watching through Austrian football all season and wants to see him playing on a a slightly different stage. There's one player going through all of the squad list, one player I've seen who is relatively young, who I've I've picked up before, is a lad called Jens Kajust, who plays for Midtjylland in Denmark. He's a Swedish player, midfielder. And he's only got, I think, three or four caps. No idea how likely he is to play. But I've seen him several times now, and he's a decent prospect, one of those kind of rangy midfielders who's all about manipulating and exploiting and creating space. Um, and then there's the reality which is we are all human and Kylian Mbappe is playing in this tournament (laughs) right everybody is going to enjoy watching him playing in this tournament as he's a bit of a basic answer not exactly difficult to watch him week to week if you really want to anyway he's on TV all the time I'm I'm actually annoyed I didn't say him now (laughs) I'm going to go kind of down the middle of those two and where I've landed is I'm quite looking forward to having a proper look at Jamal Musiala we all know his story lived in Croydon as a kid 18 years old now played for England up to under 21 Dave I think he was wasn't yes. it Yeah. now capped twice for Germany and contributing at Bayern but I just haven't had a proper chance to have a look at him yet I've not seen him really for more than about 10 or 15 minutes so it'll be great to see what we've missed out on from, a, from an England fan's point of view and my team Dave is I think Italy just purely on the basis that it's the first time since probably the the Gazzetta days when I can genuinely say I know absolutely nothing about Italian football right now.
2: Yeah, I th- I think that's true of a lot of people, and I think that's why nobody has mentioned them. And I'm as I said, I'm not saying they're going to like d- dance through to the final. I'm but I'm saying they're nowhere they're nowhere near bad enough to just write out of the equation completely. Trust me.
1: Are we sort of the same on Spain? nobody's mentioned spain tonight. yeah
3: i I actually have Spain to reach the semis, uh if not the final, when I did my predictor earlier um but again, that's they really are a bit of an unknown like they were the team who I saw their squad earlier this summer and went, oh God, I don't know who half these players are <laughs> like I've been so sort of my head's been in the championship for the last two years. I've barely watched any sort of top flight or European football, it's like God, I don't I don't know half these lads.
2: Well, if you just hang on, somebody's left to answer here. And somebody oh, might be a okay. bit annoyed because somebody else may have just taken their answer. But I uh, <laughs> team wise, yeah, I've already mentioned this Lee. But I'd quite like to see a bit of Spain. Oh right. No <laughs> one's mentioned Spain. <laughs> um For for similar reasons really. It's it feels like I don't know whether this is a Spanish side that is sort of at the end of a generation at the start of a generation or what really i don't quite know where we are with spain and i'm i'm i've watched a couple of of sort of extended highlights of um their friendlies or or qualifying games over the last year or so and they seem to be either really really good or hellishly bad there doesn't seem to be any in between with them so i'm quite looking forward to to watching them, I don't think they are... I, I think they're a very capable side, but I, I think they're a notch below your France's, your Belgium's. Mm. I think they're a notch below that currently. But it's it's interesting with the Spanish, because I the, the one thing I have sort of gleaned is that there's quite a different dynamic in that squad. It's no longer a sort of Barca enclave on one side and a real enclave on the other side. And I just wonder if that... May
0: well, there's no real, there's a good at reason at for that, isn't yeah, there?
2: Yeah, yeah, well, there's no real players at all, and I, yeah, I it feels before you get
3: carried away with Spain, Dave. Can I just say, you know, Robert Sanchez ain't going to play, don't you?
2: Listen, mate, right? They're... I mean, the fact that don't get me started, I'm getting emotional, right? but the fact that Brighton and Ove Halbion have got a goalkeeper in the Spanish squad is just extraordinary to me. He uh, l- This time last year, was coming back from an unsuccessful loan spell with Walsall to be our 5th choice goalkeeper. So I think, to be fair, I, I wish him all the best. <laughs> but yeah, I'm interested to watch a bit of Spain. The player I'm interested in is João Felix, who everybody repeatedly tells me um, is really, really good. I've seen him play pretty well. I don't think I've seen him live up to quite the hype that some people seem to give him. And I was having a conversation with somebody recently who tells me in no uncertain terms that he should be in the running with Mbappe and Haaland once Messi and Ronaldo have cleared off to be the the world's best player. And I was like, Really? <laughs> really? Um, so I'm quite interested to sit and watch a little bit of him. I he doesn't always um, start for Portugal. I don't think is the thing. I don't think he's guaranteed to play every minute. Put it that way, but I I, I will be keeping an eye on him when he does because, as I said, he's just a player I'd like to learn a little bit more about because I don't I I don't really He's sort of got this massive amount of hype that. I haven't really subscribed to any of it, and I qu- I would like to subscribe to his newsletter over the summer and see what he's all about, really. So, there we go. Euro 2020 preview done. 23 excellent teams in Scotland. Can't wait, to be honest with you. Uh, diving in three games a day. Usual feeling. Stick around and done. Lads, Watch it's exciting, or- isn't it?
3: It is. I-, I wish, Dave, though, that I had... Some kind of reading material available to whet my appetite for a major tournament, and England in particular. Well...
2: Well, Stephen, have I got the book for you? (laughs) Have I got the book for you, son? Silver Linings, Bobby Robson's England. I can't remember the author, but I just know he's handsome. Anyway, boys, thoroughly enjoyed that. We are back. We do have plans to do this semi-regularly, as usual. You (laughs) won't be getting one once a week. You won't be getting one on a usual schedule, because we refuse to subscribe to the norms, but... We will be doing them as and when. Um, Dan will be joining in as and when he can. And we will certainly try and get at least one in during the actual tournament itself, I think, as well. Um, Just to capitalise on our excitement. So, Ryan, anything you want to say before we go?
0: Um, I like that when I start these pods, preview pods, I think I'm excited. And by the end of it, I just want it to start.
2: Yes, me too. Now I'm talking about it. Nii, anything you want to say before we wrap-up?
1: I'm really upset that Yusuf Demir is not in the Austria squad.
3: Stop going on about
1: Yusuf Demir. You're never going to meet him.
3: Stephen. I don't want to meet him,
1: I want to meet Max (laughs)
3: Ullman.
2: Stephen, anything you want to say before we wrap up? Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Uh, I I, I will leave you with this. Thoroughly enjoy your footballing summer. Tournament summers are just the best thing. So just lean into it, enjoy it, consume it, absorb it. See the tickle its balls. <laughs>
1: See you next year. <laughs> <laughs>